Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode from CRA Arthritis. Very pleased to be here. I'm Kelly Lenvoy, VP of Communications and Public Affairs. And we have a friend of ACES joining us today, Dr. Sasha Vernansky, uh, a very esteemed and leading rheumatologist in Canada, the James McGill Professor uh, Department of Medicine at McGill University. Dr. Vernansky, welcome. Thank you. And you are representing a couple of topics at uh, this year's uh, annual meeting. We're going to focus in on one of them. And it's on, I think, a really interesting uh, subject area for our audience to learn more about. And that is this whole issue around air pollution and is it possibly um, a cause or determinant for um, inflammatory arthritis, uh, particularly rheumatoid arthritis. Um, just as a background, I should add for our audience that uh, some of them will know that we've been covering this topic in terms of research uh, highlights from um, both the uh, American College of Rheumatology annual meeting and the ULR annual meeting. And in 2021, um, we did cover a couple of studies, uh, one from France that looked at passive smoking and uh, also uh, one from Italy that looked at uh, pollution and how it possibly affected uh, uh, biological treatment. So there is sort of that background, and um, I know you might want to um, comment on that because you're probably familiar with those. But let's focus in on your work and um, tell us what you're presenting at the, uh, at the meeting today or tomorrow. Thank you. So, yeah, it's a poster presentation, but I, I think it's a really interesting topic. Um, so for 10 years now, I think, I've been interested in this topic of whether it is possible that air pollution might be in some way triggering or maybe um, affecting either the onset or outcomes in systemic, in various rheumatic disease uh, conditions. So mostly interested in rheumatoid arthritis and, and systemic autoimmune rheumatic diseases because of this idea that air pollution could be perhaps an inflammatory stimulus. So if you look back on the um, earliest publications of air pollution and health, people focused on things like asthma, because it made sense that if you breathed in air pollution, you would trigger asthma attacks or you know worsen asthma outcomes, including mortality, and that certainly has been shown. But then reports came out of um, associations uh, that were apparent between air pollution and cancer or overall mortality or um, uh, circulatory outcomes, uh, cardiac events. So it really seemed to be, it was time to, to start looking at the question of the potential effects of air pollution on rheumatic disease outcomes. And as I mentioned, um, when air pollution in the respiratory system is very inflammatory, and it turns out that that um, some of these substances in air pollution that we can't see because it's so tiny can actually enter not just into the lungs, but be um, in a way absorbed into your system. So these fine particulate matter substances, which are uh, less than 2.5 micrometers, um, can get into your into uh, the um, circulation lading system and actually stimulate inflammatory cells and the, the cascade of cytokine production and downstream events. So um, 
my group was one of the first to start looking at um, different data sources. So we'd, we'd use um, the, some of the uh, Canadian administrative health data sets that are so useful, looking at uh, billing codes for different rheumatic conditions and linking that up to different records of air pollution. And so in, in Canada, we have different ways that we can look at air pollution from monitoring um, systems that are set in place by the by, uh, by, health, uh, by health Canada. Mm -hmm. And um, um, our earliest um, studies kind of looked at those exposures and indeed did see some um, associations between uh, air pollution exposures, especially this fine particulate matter, PM 2.5, and um, uh, the onset, or, the, or at least the existence of systemic autoimmune rheumatic diseases, so things like systemic lupus, scleroderma, myositis, that kind of um, group of conditions. More recently, we've also used um, a, um, data from CANPAT, which is um, uh, a very large uh, effort of over 300,000 Canadians from all across Canada who provided um, information on the health status and then linked up to administrative data and also provide biosound. So we actually were able to show that air pollution uh, markers, and here we were using more some satellite imagery that we can talk about in a minute, minute um, to show that you could take the biospecimens of people who didn't have necessarily rheumatoid arthritis, but, but uh, demonstrate that anti-CCP antibodies were, were were more likely to occur if you were residing in an area where there was more exposure to things like uh, PM 2.5 air pollution. So I'm sorry for talking so much, but no, it's, no, no. I really find it fascinating. It is, and I think, um, you know, in terms of knowledge translation, I think our audience, some of the questions they might have is, you know, what did you define as, uh, as, as a riskier environment? So um, obviously, um, if you're looking at big cities, were you looking at mid-sized cities as well? So, um, we, we looked at exposure in different ways, yeah. and there's no perfect way. So, I mentioned that in the past we used these monitoring, data from these monitoring stations. So, there's these monitoring stations across Canada that uh, can, can, can measure how much um, carbon dioxide or sulfur mm -hmm. dioxide or PM 2.5 mm -hmm. is present, but they're only available in, in major cities. So that's why we moved on to more sophisticated um, efforts like um, the satellite imagery, where um, there's um, there's many researchers in the um, in the pollution and health outcomes arena that has spent a lot of time and effort um, creating models where they can use satellite images and um, correlate that with um, uh, things that, uh, air pollutants that are monitored uh, on the surface and come up with estimations of uh, people's exposure to different air pollutions, not just in the air pollution components, not just in the um, cities, but all over. Um, so for me, that was that was useful because our earliest, some of our earlier efforts had to really focus on the more um, uh, urban areas. Sure. Now, um, if, if we had to step back and ask, okay, so I live in Mont downtown Montreal, should I be moving out to a suburb or mm -hmm. should I move, move to a small town? 
So it turns out that within a place like Montreal or maybe uh, Toronto, within a certain region like Montreal, probably like whether you live right in the middle of Montreal or in NDG, a suburb where I live in, you're probably exposed to roughly the same amount of PM 2.5. One, um, and, and other, probably other constituents of air pollution too. One caveat would be probably it's not so good to live close to a major roadway. So, I mean, I don't want to scare people who happen to live close to a major roadway, but um, if, if, you know, there are there are there, there's quite a bit of evidence that living close to a major roadway um, confers uh, more exposure to particulate matter and other forms of air pollution, and po possibly um, worse, worse health outcomes, including maybe rheumatic disease um, conditions. Now that brings up, I think, some interesting socioeconomic considerations. It's it's so interesting that. You know, what we've heard over the last few years as it relates to extreme weather and climate change is that there are populations in a city more affected than other populations who don't have access to green space, and shade, and cooling um, opportunities. It would seem to me we almost have the same situation here that what you're describing, if possibly you know, lower income or race could be coming into a factor here, if they're living in these neighborhoods that have a higher degree of pollution. What a great observation, Kelly. Like, it stares us in the face, doesn't it? Like, when you think of who is living next to a major roadway, often it's it's a, a neighborhood that where the real estate is, is lower priced and, and um, a lot of the factors that you just mentioned, like education, kind of like lower education, perhaps lower employment opportunities or income, all of those, they, they travel together. Mm. And um, you're right, like the, uh, those, um, those vulnerable populations, they're at risk from so many um, perspectives, right? As you mentioned, from climate change issues and even um, the whole COVID pandemic, right? So um, I think they are, they're all pointed to the same fact that we need to, to to try to think of some way to help maybe level the playing field. So, uh, and then I think, you know, our audience are probably thinking maybe of other cities in other mm. countries and other parts mm. of the world. So um, do you have international colleagues who are looking at this in Sao Paulo or Beijing or Delhi or Los Angeles, mm -hmm. where we know obviously every day those people are living at risk from the, mm -hmm. from the pollution? Are they doing similar type of work and are they finding similar uh, conclusions? Yes, indeed. This again um, is really important because uh, we, you'll, you'll see a lot of air pollution studies coming out from China and uh, other uh, areas as well, but, but they, they have pretty good administrative data also in, in a place like um, China where they can use uh, administrative data to, to look at, at potentially um, adverse effect, effects of uh, health pollution. Um, when we were asking for funding from the uh, Canadian Institutes of Health Research for this program of research, um, one of the questions that came up from reviewers was, well, like in Canada, we don't have that much air pollution, so is it really going to be important? And I think it's really eye-opening to know that even though we have it pretty good in Canada, you can still see some health 
uh, effects of air pollution. So it's like there's no safe exposure level. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us again, Dr. Berneski. We're we're always pleased when you can share some time. Um, we 